You're listening to Shit Adults Never Taught Us, the podcast where we talk shit in a good way. You guys, we did it. We reached the end of season one. I know it's kind of crazy because season one was only 10 episodes, but I think this finale is going to satisfy you guys just fine. I talk with Jess McDonald of Humans to Humans podcast, who is studying psychology and we dive deep into that process as well as the thoughts behind her podcast and why she shifted it from more of a guest-centric show to a her-centric show. So please enjoy this final episode of Shit Adults Never Taught Us Season 1. And if you want a little refresher, you can spend the next few months going back through the first nine episodes. We'll be back with more in 2022, which seems absolutely crazy that that's right around the corner. But in the spring, I'll have new episodes for you to listen to. Until then, I want you guys to have an amazing rest of the year. And for now, enjoy Jess McDonald. Hi, Jessica. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Will you tell everybody a little bit about your story? Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Um, So, well, to start, we met because I have a podcast called Human to Human, and you came on and you talked all about your book, and it was so much fun. Um, But backtracking, um, it's cool kind of when I think about where I've been and how I've come and how it led me to starting a podcast because I grew up super, super creative. I was always so passionate. I started off in music theater, so I was doing singing and dancing and acting on stage since the time I was like eight. Um, and then I went to an art school for high school, for middle school too, actually. So like ever since I was super young, like grade six, I have been uh, just doing theater and been around people who are very artistic as well. And when I was in grade 10, I took a photography class and art finally became, it it kind of made me realize what art was to me when I was taking my photography class. I had a family member pass away years before and I definitely hadn't worked through my grief. I was in, I was a very young age too. So I think you kind of just look at how it's modeled to like around with, from everyone else around you. And then absorb that yourself. And so the way I was dealing with my grief is I wasn't. It was very down. And it took for me to do a presentation in front of my entire class. And I had a very, very lucky, very rare high school experience where the teachers were just, they were so open and they treated us all like full adults, individuals with their own thoughts, big feelings, and they were so accepting. And my class was like that too. And we were all like 15 year olds but everybody was talking about such real honest things. And I sat in front of my class and I started talking about this very personal photography assignment, the first one I ever did. And I started crying. And I was like, oh my God, why am I crying around like 30 people my age? This is terrifying. And it was the first thing that made me go, oh, there's a lot in there that I haven't worked through, I haven't thought about, and I've really pushed down. And from there, I kind of got on a course of listening to myself a bit more, journaling, writing. I got really into writing in high school. I totally have a dream of writing a book one day. And 
I continued on this creative path. I realized music theater was not it for me. Music theater people are very eccentric. In high school, I found I struggled to connect with all of the all of the different music theater kids. So I switched into, I had majors in high school, which was really rare because that's more of like a college thing. But so I switched my major, took photography, really went full on with that. Um, yeah. And then when I graduated, I found myself in a situation where I was like, what do I do? What university do I pick? How do I even decide what is the difference between them all? Um, and so I'm studying psychology right now because I really am interested in how people's minds work and how they are the way they are and why they why we all do the things we do and how it led us to where we are really similarly to how I looked at losing someone close to me how I handled it and found myself to now and now I'm just I'm so passionate about listening to yourself really understanding like why different things manifest how that comes out in your life with everybody else taking the time for yourself and through so many experiences I've had in the past couple of years all of this has come to me feeling a calling to share it with other people through my podcast. I was in like a relationship for two years that was got quite controlling and I really lost myself in that and broke up with him at the end of high school, found myself again. And really just, it's a, it's a crazy map as we all live. And I could have never expected to be where I am today. Okay. <laughs> There's so much that I want to touch on in your story. <laughs> I, once I got later on, I was like, oh my God, I'm doing so much detail. There's so much, like, there's so much. <laughs> it's perfect. I love every part of that. But before we go any further, I have to ask you, did you photograph the photos in the background? Yes. Yeah. I did these in high school. <laughs> Those are so good. Thank you so much. <laughs> where is that? Where is that beach? So this okay so yeah this beach is right by my house in Toronto I live in Toronto and this is Lake Ontario and I had a friend photograph that's like me in the corner right there um I'm so called to water and the sky and all that it's like brings me peace me too and this is actually the actual sky this is my brother jumping in the sky and just the bottom is photoshopped in the side because he was jumping off a, a cliff jumping rock into the water so that's what that is and then I have a black and white water right there that, as well. Okay, you guys can't see it, but she is an incredible photographer. You know what's crazy? Thank you. I work for a photographer now, so I like am so timid and shy about my photography because she makes money off it. And I'm like, ah, I'm not like that. <laughs> okay, there's a part in your story that you just told that I resonated with so much. I can pinpoint all the way back to like, probably preschool or kindergarten that just about every stage in my life was at some way or some point in some way defined by me feeling like I didn't fit in by me feeling like the people around mm. me were a little bit different than I was or other people around me being better than I was in your high school, you had majors. Yes. Yeah. Is there a competition portion of you or was there something that was like, oh boy, this is not for me because I don't fit in here. Was that a factor at such a young age? Oh yeah. Like 14, 13, you're going into high school and music theater, why I hated it so much is because it was so competitive. Who's getting the lead? I want this part. No, like, like it was just it was so much about who was better. And I just, I just didn't even have the time of day for that. I didn't even have the mental space for that. I was 
It's like, I don't care. And I also, I, if the difference is I knew I wasn't going to do music theater forever. I, I knew I wasn't going to graduate high school and pursue acting or singing or anything. I did it because I loved the feeling of being on stage. I loved just like the rush it gave me and how I could express myself. But the competition portion, I was just like, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> like we're here to have fun. And I think in so many ways you can always feel you know, I don't fit in this way or that way. But as soon as you start to be confident in yourself and trust your gut of what you like and what you don't like, or what you think is, doesn't resonate with you, then it all changes, you know, then you're like, okay, well, I don't like this and I can feel okay in that, but it takes a long time. It takes, especially at a young age being like that. It's so hard. Oh yeah. It takes so long. Uh, yeah. I, I could not imagine going to a specialized school like that. Everyone is amazing. And that's so cool to be around because it's like, it pushes you to work really hard and it pushes you to, you know, be the best you can be. But at the same time, it's, it's very out of the ordinary. It's not like a quote unquote normal experience. It makes me really sad when I think about public schools, especially in the U.S. right now that are slashing arts programs and slashing sports programs and pushing, you know, math, science, all the things I suck at, but also (laughs) all the things that make people a lot of money and contribute to the economy. We still live in a capitalist society. What do you think art gave you in high school? And do you think that if you were a young person where art wasn't such a prominent part, what would, would you be a different person? I don't know who I would be. I truly, without art, I'm not Jess because whether it was photography or music theater or now writing or now podcasting, what do I do to let go? What do I do to escape? What do I do to like forget about all the shitty parts of the world? I have no idea. And creativity, I think for everyone, no matter if you went to an art school or were raised, you know, being encouraged to be creative, everybody has those juices inside of them and everybody has different ways to express themselves and not being encouraged to be creative, I think I would just be a lot, like, stiffer, I even want to say. Like, just, I, I feel so much in my body, and I think my, I would just be so rigid, and so much less, you know, happy, and energetic, and just, like, creativity just make, it's just, like, I just picture, you know, you're flowing like water, and without that encouragement, I think there's just so much more stress, and it is just such a product of the capitalist society of hustling and working harder and harder and harder to try and achieve something. I agree with that. I think that when I am feeling really tense or heavy or stuff is overwhelming, I turn to art. There's something very cathartic. There's something very therapeutic about art. And I just think when you're an artist, you're able to express emotions better. You're able to work through what's going on in your head better. If you are deprived of art, your whole brain is just constantly spinning and working these tools that are designed and practiced for the more logical side with no outlet. What about psychology is attractive to you? I think understanding different parts of our minds and where it comes from and looking at the problems we have too and being like, okay, how can we find a better solution for that how can we work through that grief or that trauma and it's crazy to think I started psychology before I ever went to therapy but now 
I go to therapy very often. I'm a huge advocate of it. It's completely changed my life. And so it just makes even more sense for me to be studying psychology. Um, and through the podcast, I, I, it's crazy to think like, I think I kind of knew, like my subconscious kind of knew I was being pulled to talking more about psychology and learning more about it. Because now in my podcast, I talk about so many topics that I learned about in class. If I feel like it happened in like the opposite order of what logically makes sense, but it, it still totally makes sense. Have you ever considered combining psychology and photography and using photography as a way to help people through things? Um, that's a great question. I feel like it's weird. I feel like I did lose my passion for photography because I haven't really created any work since high school, but absolutely. And I think, I think that in, in any form of creativity, I would love that to be something that helps people work through their problems. And that's what I think the podcast has become is I care more, more, I'm more passionate about talking about all of it and sharing my personal experiences and feelings and all the things I've learned and hopefully having that help people. I think there's just such a desire in me to help people. Yeah. What? Okay. Let's talk about the podcast then. So the podcast you started two years ago, right? A year ago. A year, a year ago. Oh my goodness. And you just entered season three? Yeah. Okay. What did you learn the most when you started it, when you were talking to people? Were other people's experiences something you were seeking out or did you learn more throughout the process than you expected? Yeah, so much more. It's crazy because right now I think I'm going back to the roots of why I began. And I think over the course of the year, I lost a bit or I got, you know, I just lost a bit of the purpose along the way because I loved the beginning of season one, season one, but I knew how I, I can just see how scared I was looking back at the beginning because I wanted to take all the conversations that I have with people in my life, my friends, my family that really helped me and, and record it and bring my, bring my best friends on kind of rehab these conversations about vulnerability, heartbreak, living alone, learning who you are, and put that out there. But I was so scared of recording by myself. And then season one, as soon as I think season one started to bleed into season two, I was asking guests to come on and talk about really cool topics for the entirety of season one after I kind of had most of my friends on. And then I was like, okay, well, I love this person, so let's bring them on. I love this person, let's bring them on. Um, and then season two came and I had other people, people started to get it. It started to, you know, pick up a bit more following and more people started to find out. So I had other people say, oh my God, can I come on to talk about this? Can I yeah. come on? And, and I was like, oh my God, of course, all these people want to come on to my show to talk about their life. Like that's crazy. Yeah. And I started saying yes all the time. And I started saying yes to all of these people. And then after a while, I started to think, well, I'm losing my voice. Yeah. Do I want to share all their stories? Like, what about all these thoughts I keep having? And then I started to get more comfortable doing solo episodes. But the thing is, I wouldn't change anything because every guest I have, have had has led me somewhere. When you have a guest on a podcast, you interview them. And, you know, if you're a better host than I am, you talk about them 99% of the time when you lose yourself a little bit in these podcasts because you're learning a lot about another person that's very similar to psychology like when you're in a therapist session you don't interject your own thoughts or feelings or ideas into the other person because you're just a sounding board right you're just yeah uh objective opinion 
my curiousness is was the original the manifestation of the podcast in its original origin was it meant to be the antithesis of a therapy session like was it meant to be your interjection into the human mind and your thoughts and opinions sort of of the flip side of the coin of a therapist session where it's all about the other person and then the podcast can be your observations of the humanity on the other side wow I love how profound you're making this sound because I would (laughs) like it's so crazy to think about that it like that way and I've never thought about it that way and that's why I love talking about the podcast more because it changes my perspective of it and totally I think so many of the things that you talk about in a therapy session, I do want to talk about on the podcast. And I think in its original form was that was because yeah. I was going to therapy at that t- time too. And it was in my very, very early stages of it. Um, and there were just so many topics that I was like, no one talks like a lot of the conversations you have in therapy. They're very vulnerable. They're very raw. They're very real. And there are a lot of things that are really scary to talk about in your everyday life. I honestly think when I, I've gone through sessions in therapy where I'm like, I really wish somebody else was in the room to hear this. Like I just, right. There was a recorder or something. I've thought that too. But then I think about it, like my therapist sits on the other side and, you know, gives me snippets of advice or thought provoking questions, but I want a podcast where I hear her opinions. And for me, it feels like you entering the world of psychology and the form of therapy, like in my mind, you're going to be helping others in that form. You're going to be constantly helping others through process through things. But the podcast is you processing through the same things with what you've learned from them. And that to me is so interesting. It's something that like never would have crossed my mind, but that's honestly what I get from your podcasts. This makes so much sense, but I've just never seen it in this way, but a hundred percent. Well, what attracted me originally to your podcast was it was the same mentality as my book. It was, I had these conversations with friends that I was upset nobody else got to hear. And I was like, wait, I only, we had a whole conversation for like an hour and it literally just the two of us figured this out. And it makes me upset that the rest of the world didn't figure this out. So I wrote it down. And I feel like your podcast is the same concept. It's like, yeah. I'm disappointed that the two of us are the only people that got to have this conversation. So let's have it again and let's record it this time. Yes. And the Love amount that. of times I'd be talking to a different friend and I'd be like, well, I just had that conversation with another friend. I'm like, yes, you need to hear what I just lived with that person. So then I recorded it and I'd be like, you need to listen. Now it's all the time with friends. I'm like, oh, I just made a podcast episode about that. Oh my God. You have to go listen to that one. I talked to yeah. this person about that. It's the best. You're like, why don't you just go listen to this? I mean, honestly, I think I give away more copies of my book than I actually sell. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> okay, Jess, I love everything about your podcast. I was wondering if I could just ask you some questions about your life. Yes. Oh my God. Totally. What's one life lesson you've had to learn over and over again? A big one that that reminded me of is boundaries, like learning what my boundaries are and, and, and then you putting them in practice over and over and over again. And then when you don't, that's what I keep learning over and over is when someone crosses it and I let them cross it and I don't 
put it up and say like, I'm not comfortable with that. Or like, no, I don't want to do that. Like saying no, being able to cancel plans. I forget that you're like allowed to cancel plans. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And so like, that is something I'm learning over and over what boundaries I have with myself, what boundaries I have with other people. And once you figure them them out, that's not like, woohoo, we're good. It's literally having to decide every day, every week, all the time. Nope saying no, staying true to myself, trusting my instincts. I mean, boundaries also change as you grow and as like your life shifts a little bit, but also just as society changes. I was just talking to somebody when I started working at a company, I was like 23 and it was majority men. I would say, I'm trying to think, but it was like a 30 person company and maybe 25 of those guys were men. And the jokes that would happen had a sliding scale of jokes. And so like, obviously the most extreme ones, I would set the boundary and be like, okay, well, obviously like you can't joke about that. But then as time went on at that company, every joke started to sting and have like a weird sort of thing because it wasn't just about the content of the joke. It was the mentality behind it. It was the way that it became a boys club. It felt like I was in a fraternity. It the way that the inclusion exclusion was happening within these jokes, I was like, oh, that's the boundary. The boundary isn't each individual joke and the severity of the content. It's the meaning behind it and the reason that the jokes are happening and why. And I was like, oh, I get the boundary. This week, literally this week has been the biggest realization for me with this. My boyfriend is brown and I'm white. And I went and I saw a bunch of my family members for the first time being in like a bigger setting with family post COVID and everyone is white. No one has brought someone around that isn't white. And there were jokes and there were comments and some of them feel lighthearted. And I, I, oh my God, it's crazy. It's everything you just said, just with race and not with gender, everything. I had a therapy session and I talked all about this and understanding when I, when it's it's not about each joke it's about everyone's assumptions and undertones of racism too and everything that's being said and it's not about what joke do I shut down and what joke do I don't it's you shut down them all and it's going to be super uncomfortable and in your situation you know you have to shut it down for yourself and that would be so hard but now I'm going to be shutting it down not only for myself but for the person I love and yeah. that's why it's, it's, it's going to make me, it's, I'm going to be doing it even more because there's even more of a reason. Cause sometimes it's hard to just stand up for ourselves. Like we can, that's when you let your boundaries with yourself slide because you're like, well, it's just me, but I'm still hurt by this. But I'm like, I never, ever want the person I love to be hurt by that. And of course it hurts me too. So it's like, no, absolutely not. That's not funny. You don't ask that question. Well, and what it really is, is it's like gossip. When people are gossiping, they're trying to connect with the person they're telling by sort of creating this little tight-knit group of inclusion by excluding somebody else. Being like, did you see so-and-so's outfit? Or did you hear this rumor? Or whatever it is, they're trying really hard to connect with the person that they're talking to. And those jokes, regardless of what the content is, is the same inclusion exclusion. And until people realize that the, it's not the severity of the joke, and then it becomes, 
what it's evolved into is people being like, oh, well, I can't make that joke anymore. And when they say that, it's literally the same intent. It is, I'm trying to connect on this inclusion. So instead of making the joke, I'm going to make a joke about not being able to make the joke to still see who's in my circle and who's not in my circle. Yeah. It's the same exact intent. Oh, well, I can't make that sexist joke anymore. I can't make that racist joke anymore. The eyes do the exact same thing that would have happened if they had made the joke where they look around to see who's laughing, who's acknowledging them. Boundaries evolve, but the faster way to set boundaries is to realize the overall as opposed to really squeezing it into, well, it's this specific thing. I don't like this. This is my line. It's more figuring out the overall intent of what's happening and where the boundary lies within the intent. It is a lesson you have to learn over and over again when you don't do it and you go home and you have this uneasy feeling or this, you know, this disliking of this person now or continuing a dislike of a person being like, "Mm, it's because we have these different values. That's why you have to challenge them. My struggle right now is I'm still working on getting it in the moment. Because sometimes yeah. I'll, I'll just get this weird little feeling and be like, that felt off. But like, I don't know what felt off about it. So whatever, I'll just move past it. And then it's not till the drive home. It's not yeah. till I'm laying in bed at night. It's not till like four days later that I figure out, oh no, wait, now I figured out why that was weird. I know what's wrong days later. We're still figuring out how to approach these subjects in a way where it doesn't alienate the people in our lives, yeah. but can actually bring us closer. It's, yeah. it's a, a whole process. It's such a process. And then, and it, I completely agree. And I struggle with all of that so much because it's also like, no one is typically saying outwardly, extremely racist or extremely sexist jokes. It's the undertone of it. And it's the, yeah. Hmm. It's the way you said that. It's how your body language is. It's like it's like the though that you added in the sentence. You said something about like, oh, is he born here though? And I'm like, well, it doesn't matter if he's where he's born. Why does that yeah. change anything, right? It's, it's so subtle. It's so hard to pick it up right then and there, but your body feels it. I was just talking on a previous podcast episode. I was just talking to a girl who she works in a highly male dominated industry. And she said, people like to talk about her dating life. So she doesn't say anything about it. And whenever someone brings it up, she goes, you get one question. Is this the one you want? Do you want this to be your one? And she's like, you get one question. Everybody gets one question. And she's like, is this your question? I love that. And we talked about like what happens when sexist jokes come up because people aren't comfortable saying to other people like, well, that was, especially in a group setting, that was inappropriate. So I do it in a laugh. I'll be like, what an inappropriate thing to say to me. That's so (laughs) smart. Oh, I'm so going to use that. Oh my God. That's, I needed that piece of advice. (laughs) Because honestly, when you laugh, it eases the people around you, but then the words still come out and it makes it a little easier for you to do because it's like, I don't want to make this whole room uncomfortable. So I'll say it where everybody starts laughing and gets a little less, like it's still going to be uncomfortable. And everyone thinks about it when they go home. They're like, oh, that was a bit awkward, but it wasn't. That was a bit awkward. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But if you just go, well, that was an inappropriate thing to say, then the whole room gets quiet. Everyone's looking at you. It's the attention you don't want. I like to laugh it off, but the content's still in there. But I love that you get one question. I love that too. 
Yeah. Because now, like, if you're at a family event, somebody in your family goes, well, was he born here? You're like, you get one question about him. Is that the question you want? You get one question about his background or his race or anything. And then any other question you asked about, like, how we met, yeah. how I feel about, like, that's, that's awesome. I'd love to talk about how much I'm in love with this person. But you get one yeah. question about You get one question <laughs> about him, his race, his background, his origin story. You get one. Is that the one you want? I love that. That's awesome. What's one piece of advice you wish you had at 18? You know what you need. You know what you want. You know what's not right. Trust your gut. Trust Trust your gut. Listen to what's really going on, especially when you're 18, because when you're 18, you think everything is like so dramatic. And when I was in high school, I had a boyfriend that I was like, oh, this is it. I found him. Excellent. And then we broke up after two years and I started dating another guy and we dated for like six months. I was like, just kidding. I found it again. I found <laughs> this is, I, I was obviously too young at like 15 before, but now at like 17 found it. Excellent. And then we broke up and then I started, started college and every guy I met, I was like, Oh, college guys, this is where it is. I'm totally and- like that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Cause that was so my mentality too. Every guy I met, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to marry him. Oh, that's my husband. Oh, that's totally him. And like, finally, I think why this relationship has been working out and is great. And all my past ones in the past two years weren't was because every time I met someone, I put so much pressure on it and was like, he's it. That's it. I'm done. And this guy, I was like, Oh, like he likes my podcast. I think he's cool. We're going to like hang out and just like, yeah and we hung out and I was like yeah it was good and then we hung out again and then I was like yeah this is fun and we hung out again (laughs) that could not be more of a definition of growing up because I was if I look at what the qualities I was looking for in a guy at like 15 16 18 21 whatever the qualities I was looking for in guys were so different than the qualities I look for now what's one thing about the moment that's happening in your life right now that you want to hold on to for the rest of your life Oh, wow. I think just where I am, I think where I'm at with myself, the journey I've come to, where I think just where I'm at with everything, because you never know what's going to happen and everything changes so much. Remembering the feeling I'm having right now of, you know, like so much is changing with my job. I'm taking on so much more responsibility. I'm getting more confident with the decisions I'm making, the initiative I'm taking with myself. I have let go of friendships that haven't been serving me that were really creating toxic feelings within myself within the other friends I've had you know like it's so right now is it feels I feel like we have so many turning points but in a lot of ways this feels like the beginning of something and I think a lot of people also say they want to hold on to the beginning parts of their relationship and in my previous relationship that was in a negative way because it was always like well, why isn't this like the beginning? Why isn't this like the beginning? And I'm like, things changed. You're not supposed to stay in that beginning stage. And yeah. And I feel like I don't even need to have that scarcity mindset of I need to hold on to the beginning of my relationship right now because I know wherever it's going to go, it's we're going to change and we're going to evolve and we're going to get to the places we're meant to and become even closer. And it's so it is so fun to think back to the beginning and go, "Oh my god, like we, we barely even knew each other then compared to now. <laughs> yeah, but what you want to hold on to from the beginning is the lightheartedness, the laughter, the, the connection, 
but then you just you take all the awkward and the bullshit and all the, the all the stuff that like brings high emotions and you're like oh that was so passionate that was so whatever like all that that fades away is really just an initial sort of uncomfortability and once you become more connected and the trust comes and you know each other super well the comfortability is actually really great mm-hmm. and that's if you can keep the lightheartedness and the jokes and the laughter the comfortability added to it just makes it better. Yeah. Like I don't miss when I would like have my heart beating super fast and sweating a bunch right before I saw him every time like that. It's like, it's like a thrill for like a bit. And then I'm like, okay, I need to stop getting nervous every time I see him because I'm exhausted. (laughs) Yeah. It can be, it's also like, what is this doing to my stress levels? (laughs) Yes. What is this doing to my brain? Yeah, definitely. All right. Jess, last question. What's one emotion you wish you were better at? Something I learned that was, but okay, no, not this one. Because I was going to say something about being angry, but like, I'm not an angry person. I was going to say mad is sad's bodyguard. That's what my therapist taught me. And when you're mad, I, especially, I think this is for me. I don't get mad a lot. I, I had some, I had definitely some mad feelings about a friend like a year ago when COVID hit but I was really just sad. I like that. Mad is sad's bodyguard. It's my favorite. It's one of my favorite like quotes that I've gotten from therapy. I'm going to write that down somewhere. I like that. Nice. Jess, will you tell everybody where to find this beautiful podcast you have? Yes, of course. So my podcast is called Human to Human. It is on all streaming platforms, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, It's on Instagram at human to human pod. And my personal Instagram is Jessica J McDonald, spelt exactly like the fast food chain, MCD. And yeah, thank you. This was so fun. Just like such a beautiful space to be able to like, I feel like I learned so much about myself today and you. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much. That's all for today's episode. Check back in next week to talk a little more shit with me. In the meantime, be sure to grab your copy of Shit Adults Never Taught Us on Amazon and Barnes & Noble to learn all the shit adults never taught us. And in case no one told you this week, you're killing it. So keep going, you genuine badass.